You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The sermon text for today, Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in us through your word. We have sung this together, we have heard it read, but our desire is to behold your glory and majesty in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you do what we cannot do. Give us eyes to see the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I think most of you know the name Corey Tin Boom. Perhaps you've even read the book about her life called The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker who was used by the Lord in an incredible way during the Second World War. 
After the Germans invaded the Netherlands, Cory, her sister Betsy, and her father Casper all acted with great courage, no doubt the fruit of their deeply held Christian convictions. During the German occupation of the Netherlands, Corey joined the Dutch underground movement, a movement dedicated to hiding Jewish refugees from the Nazi authorities. Corey and Betsy's efforts led them to build a special room in their home, a room that could hide six people safely, and they did this successfully. It's estimated that over the course of two years, Corey and Betsy were able to safely hide as many as 800 Jews. In 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis about the Ten Boom's efforts, and Corey, Betsy, and Casper were taken to concentration camps. Casper died just 10 days after he was captured. Corey and Betsy suffered well, holding secret Bible studies that led to several prisoners being converted. And then just 12 days before Corey was released, Betsy died. Before her death, Betsy told her sister, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. In time, Corey would learn that she was released from the concentration camp based on a clerical error, and that just a week after she was mistakenly let go, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. Her story is an incredible story of God's providence. But friends, here's what I want to point out this morning, the Ten Booms sacrificially loved the Jewish people. They did this when it brought them no advantage, and in fact, it put them in great danger. In this good work, the Ten Booms were simply doing for others what Christ had done for them. This is the heart of Christ, and this is what we find yet again in our text this morning. The God-man goes to the outcast, unloved and unwanted, and at no advantage to himself, he extends amazing grace, even in the face of real danger. As Mark has been weaving together a stunning portrait of Jesus through his gospel record, he now adds two additional stories that will only increase our amazement as we behold the unrivaled grace and glory of the Lord Jesus. In verses 24 through 37, we encounter two stories, but I want you to see four distinct snapshots of Jesus in these two stories. Two stories, four distinct snapshots of Jesus. In the first Snapshot, I want you to see Jesus, the loving missionary. Jesus, the loving missionary. Look again at verse 24. 
And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Notice where Jesus goes on the heels of his intense confrontation with the Pharisees and scribes. Tyre was a Gentile region about 20 miles northwest of Capernaum. Sidon was another 10 to 15 miles away. As far as we know, this is the only time Jesus traveled outside Israel. Now, we don't know exactly why this is where Jesus decided to go at this particular time. I, I think it's most likely that he wanted some time to rest. Again, the crowds were in hot pursuit of him, and the opposition, as we saw last week, was strong. I'm sure the Lord was exhausted. Maybe this is why Mark tells us that once Jesus entered the house, he didn't want anyone to know. I just need to catch my breath and get a little rest. But friends, amidst our uncertainty about exactly why Jesus went into this Gentile region, I don't want you to miss this. What was at the center of the argument between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders in the first half of this chapter? If you can remember all the way back, last week. Jesus denied the validity of all their man-made laws regarding ritual cleanliness, what they called the traditions of the elders. In fact, what did Jesus say back in verse 13? These traditions made void the word of God. So, Jesus totally dismissed the traditions of the elders as they related to ritual cleanliness. He declared all food clean in verse 19. And now what does he do? Well, he turns on its head the unbiblical notion that having a relationship with or even getting close to a Gentile will make one ritually unclean. Again, last week I shared that 25% of the Mishnah was devoted to ritual cleanliness and purity. The Pharisees believed in large part that salvation came from ethnic separation, that they were saved by keeping themselves clean from any contamination from unbelievers or sinners. So friends, what does Jesus do in response to this sort of anti-gospel addition to the law? He travels to a Gentile region where he will carry out his mission, not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. You see, the gospel of the kingdom was never meant to be limited to the Jews. Yes, Christ came to the Jew first, but his rescue mission was always meant to extend to every nation on the earth. As Mark 
gives us this little glimpse of Jesus, the loving missionary. As you see Jesus going to a place and to a people that had great hostility for the Jews, I want you to see the missionary heart of the Lord. And I want you to be filled with gratitude that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save the lost. He came to rescue Jew and Gentile alike with arms wide open to anyone and everyone who would turn to him in faith. There is no one There is no one outside the boundaries of Jesus' redemptive mission. There is no ethnic group that is unclean and unreachable. There is no socioeconomic standing that makes someone unclean and unreachable. There is no depth of sin committed that permanently places a person on the outside of the kingdom with no hope of divine rescue. Do you believe this, friends? Do you believe that Jesus came to save sinners of all kinds, from every walk of life and every place on earth? I hope you do. I hope you do because it's the only explanation for your salvation. If you have turned to the Lord Jesus in faith, it is because a missionary Christ came to seek out lost men and women who deserved eternal judgment but received undeserved compassion. We will see this in the Gentile woman and her daughter just as we see this in every Christian in this room. Christian friends, we were pursued by Jesus, the loving missionary, and we were forever changed when we encountered him because he is a compassionate savior. This is the second snapshot in our text. Jesus the compassionate Savior. We find this in verses 27 through 30. So again, Jesus has traveled to a Gentile region, I think looking for some rest. But even in someone's house, he could not be hidden. A Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter found Jesus and begged him to heal her little girl. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Perhaps you're thinking when you hear that response, Jason, why did you say this is a snapshot of Jesus, the compassionate Savior? He does not sound compassionate. He sounds rude, maybe even belittling. It it seems as though Jesus is dismissive of this woman's request and is dismissive of this woman altogether. So what 
what do we make of this? Let me read verse 27 again. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If we just take what Jesus is saying at face value, think about your own family as an example, especially those of you who have children and you have a pet dog, which is what Jesus has in view here rather than a mangy mutt that's roaming the streets. That's not what he's talking about. If you fit into this category of someone who has children and a pet dog, then I assume you have some general rules for dinner time. If everything is going well in your home, I'm going to assume that the children in your house take priority over your pet. Your first priority is making sure your children are fed and then you think about your dog. I'm also assuming that if I were to drop in on you unannounced for dinner, again, those of you with children and a pet, I'm assuming that I would not find your pet sitting upright in a chair right next to your children, eating at the table like a member of the family. And if you do this, please do not tell me. Under normal circumstances, and if everything is going well in your home, the kids get a meal and the dog gets the leftovers or whatever falls on the ground. You see, Jesus is teaching in a parable, and here's the point. In his example of feeding the children and the pet, there is a clear order of priority. Well, you're not going to starve your pet. You're absolutely going to prioritize the nourishment of your children. And friends, that's the essence of the illustration. Listen, the children are the children of Israel. They are the priority of Jesus. He came first to feed his own people. But he did not come for the Jews only. In time, he would offer his kingdom to the Gentiles as well. Notice the woman's response in verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. wait a minute, does this woman understand the teaching of Jesus? H haven't we seen Jesus needing to pull his disciples aside consistently so far and take time to explain to them his parables? And now this Gentile woman understands exactly what Jesus is saying? I found R.C. Sproul's explanation of this incredible interaction profoundly moving. This is what he writes. In essence, 
This woman said, yes, Lord, I understand. I have no prior claim to your mercy. I am not numbered among the children. I have no right to sit at the table and feast on the food that you set before your children. I do not want that. I'm satisfied, Lord, with the crumbs. All I'm asking is that you will let me have one crumb from your table. Then I will be satisfied. Heal my daughter, please. I know she's not in your family. I know she's not numbered among the children. We are the dogs who wait for the crumbs, but one crumb is all I'm asking for. This is the response of desperate faith. And it's beautiful. This woman is marked by a desperate, humble, genuine faith in Christ. In response, Jesus gives her what she asks for. Right? The one who comes to him in faith, he will not stiff arm, he will not ignore. What an example this is of the compassionate Savior. Verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Brothers and sisters, I want you to consider for a moment the contrast between this Gentile woman and the Jewish religious leaders. In their arrogance, the Pharisees and the scribes were blind to who Jesus was. They trusted in their own righteousness to make them clean. They had it all figured out, so they had no need of Jesus. In her humility, the Gentile woman saw herself and she saw Jesus accurately. He was the Messiah and she was an undeserving dog. Her only hope was the mercy and compassion of Jesus and in faith she received his teaching and asked him to do what only he could do, thereby affirming who he was and what happened. Jesus, the compassionate Savior, met her immediate need by healing her daughter, but he also met her greatest need. He affirmed her faith and welcomed her into his family. This all reminds me of a line we sing often here. It's in the song, Jesus, Thank You. And in this line, connected to this story, we should all see ourselves in this woman. 
here's what we sing. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Well, we've gotten just a brief glimpse of Jesus, the loving missionary, Jesus, the compassionate Savior. Now look with me at Jesus, the merciful healer. I find this in verses 31 through 36. Look at the text with me. Verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. In typical Mark fashion, we jump quickly from one story to another. The journey described in verse 31 was about 120 miles, though Jesus remains in Gentile territory. As we've now seen over and over, as soon as Jesus arrives in the region of the Decapolis, he is led to a man in great need. According to verse 32, this needy man was deaf and he had a speech impediment. While the crowd clamors for Jesus to touch him and bring immediate healing, Jesus has another plan. And again, keep Keep in mind all that's transpired between Jesus and the religious authorities and, and all the talk about ritual cleanliness and what makes someone unclean or clean. Now, what Jesus chooses to do as he brings healing to this man might seem very odd at first. But I want you to understand that this weird scene is an absolutely wonderful display of Jesus' compassion for this man. Verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Friends, in this staggering picture of mercy and compassion, Jesus meets this man where he is. In his suffering and disability, and what does he do? He uses a form of sign language. The man could not hear Jesus, and he could not speak. So Jesus communicated with him in a language he could understand. Sinclair Ferguson explains, the fingers placed in his ears and then removed meant, I am going to remove the blockage in your hearing. The spitting and the touching of the man's tongue meant, I am going to remove the blockage in your mouth. The glance up to heaven meant, it is God alone who is able to do this for you. 
Jesus wanted the man to understand that it was not magic, but God's grace that healed him. And now what does verse 35 say? And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. There is no delay. Jesus has worked an instantaneous miracle. This man's life was radically changed in a moment. When the text says that his tongue was released, it more literally means that the chain of his tongue was broken. Oh, brothers and sisters, how can this not cause each of us to pause for a moment and rejoice in our own salvation? Bound by the chains of our own wickedness, it was Jesus, the one full of mercy that came to us, and in our desperate need, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. The chains of our sin were broken, and by grace, we were eternally healed. When you read instances like this, you are meant to see yourself in this story. Only Jesus can do this. And in this story, we are, we are not only meant to consider the power of Christ, but we are meant to be overwhelmed by his mercy and his compassion. We're meant to read these two stories, and perhaps especially this one, and respond with, what a kind Savior. Well, he opposed the Pharisees and scribes with great courage and strength, he has come near to the hurting and hopeless, and he always comes to them with great mercy and great compassion. In part, friends, this text is meant to invite us to come to Jesus. If you're a Christian, I encourage you to remember the compassion of your Savior. He has not changed. Draw near to him. And if you're not yet a Christian... I hope this snapshot of Jesus, the merciful healer, serves as a compelling call to you to come to the one who will receive you just as you are, but he will not leave you as he finds you. If you come to him in faith, he will make you new. If you come to him in faith, he will make you new, and he will do this out of the abundance of his mercy. You don't have to earn it. And you can't afford it. That's why it's called grace. As we partake of the Lord's table this morning, we will sing these words. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are.
this text should scream that message to you. And so I hope you do that this morning if you need to. Jesus, the loving missionary, Jesus, the compassionate savior, Jesus, the merciful healer, and finally, I want you to see Jesus, the awesome God. Jesus, the awesome God. Look at verse 36 and then verse 37. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. One commentator said, I do not condone their disobedience, but I understand their response. Verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. As he has done numerous times throughout his earthly ministry up to this point, Jesus encourages those who have witnessed his power to keep quiet. Don't tell people what you have seen and experienced, and again, they can't do it. In fact, the energy and passion of those spreading the news about Jesus is only growing. It's so interesting that Mark lets us know here, at least in part, what these people are saying about Jesus, right? So Jesus says, don't, don't say anything. They do. And, and what is it that they were going to tell people? Well, in part, it's what we find in verse 37, He describes them as astonished beyond measure. Or we might say today, they were super astonished. They had trouble putting into words what they had witnessed. So they just made this sweeping statement. He has done all things well. Everything. Everything he does, he does well. Now, friends, when we hear that statement, our first thought should be, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one greater than Moses and the prophets, he does, in fact, do all things well. This is why we can say there is no one like Jesus. This is why we sing praises to his name as the one who is worthy of our worship. He does all things well. Now, your second thought should be that this particular phrase sounds familiar. Specifically, you ought to hear an echo of Genesis 1.31. At the conclusion of the sixth day of creation, this is what we read. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Beyond this echo of creation, the second half of verse 37 sounds like the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the coming Messiah, the God-man. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Listen to the text. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, 
and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Why were the people astonished? Because they were beholding the glory of God in the person of Christ. They had never seen works like this because they had never seen God clothed in humanity, standing before them, exercising power over creation, beginning the process of making everything right again. Oh, friends, I want you to see this same thing. I want you to see the ultimate hope that we find in Jesus. About this very point, one pastor said beautifully, God created a world with no deafness or muteness or cancer until sin entered in. But now, listen, now the creator has stepped onto the stage of the world he created, bringing a new creation. Wherever he goes, he is undoing the effects of the fall. He does all things well because he is God. And wherever he goes, he is making all things new. This is why we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why we want to plant churches. This is why we want to encourage pastors all across the world. This is why we want those who have never heard the name of Jesus to hear of Jesus, to see these beautiful portraits of the God-man. And in response, they might go out in faith saying, he does all things well. Remembering that wherever the gospel goes with success, things are being made new. And this should cause us, brothers and sisters, to long for that day as we were singing earlier when we lifted our voices to, together to sing a hymn of heaven. We long for that day when everything that has been marred by sin is made right again. Let's pray together.